Good morning. Glad that you could be here in our worship assembly on the first Sunday of the new year. What a blessing it is to all of us to be able to assemble together in this way. We're glad that you could be here and to be uh, a part of it. It was a little over 20 years ago that a well-known church researcher by the name of Tom Rayner wrote a book called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. The surprising part of that title came from the fact that he came to some conclusions from his research that were different from what most people thought. They were different in this way. He took a different approach to the question of what moves people who don't go to church to start going to church? What moves them from being out in the world and not involved and not interested in Christian faith to begin going to church and not just going to church, but actually being converted and become a part, becoming part of those churches? You see, for decades, there had been church growth experts who had said this, what, what churches need to do if they want to grow and want to attract people is find out what people want and then give it to them. And, and so they would do surveys among people who didn't go to church and say, what would it take to get you to go to church? What would have to change? What would need to be different? And they would get all kinds of answers, and it was things like, well, I would go to a church that had uh, really well-developed athletic leagues, or I would go to a church that had uh, personal development classes and, and groups and so forth. Or I'd go to churches that had really dynamic music programs. Or I would go to churches that had the kind of childcare that I'd like to have uh, for my children. But I would go to church if. That's what these people were saying. The problem with that was all of those answers came from people who didn't go to church. And, and many of them never would. They weren't ever going to go to church. So the results of those surveys were badly skewed. And so Rayner said, we need a better methodology. And so he interviewed 353 people who were formerly unchurched, formerly didn't go to church, but had started going and had become integral parts of some local congregation. And he asked them what caused them to change, what made the difference for them. He also interviewed, interviewed the ministers of a group of what he called effective churches. And by effective churches, he means churches that are effective in leading people to Christ. Churches that are effective in leading people from being out in the world and not, not in people of faith, but leading them to accept Christ as their Savior and to follow Jesus. He also, as a control group, interviewed a number of, of uh, churches that he called comparison churches. And the comparison churches were not effective at leading people to Christ. They were churches, but they were not leading people to Christ the way the effective churches were. So he interviewed the people who had formerly not gone to church. He interviewed the ministers of effective churches, and he interviewed the ministers of the comparison churches. One of the things that I came away from after reading that book was this thought, I don't want Glen Allen to be a comparison church. I don't want us to be one of those churches that just has the doors open, but isn't effective at leading people to Christ. I want us to be an effective church. But folks, the truth is we're not. We're really not. 
I'm not just talking about gross statistics here. I'm talking about leading people to Christ. I'm talking about fulfilling our commission to make disciples of all nations. Somehow, we're just not getting it done. I'm not going to embarrass you or embarrass myself by telling you how few people we saw baptized into Christ last year. If you'll just think about it, you'll realize it was very, very few. It was a handful. And so here we have almost 200 people leading only a handful of people to Christ in a year's time. Glen Allen is a great church, don't get me wrong. And I love, I love all of it. I love all of you. I love the things that we are doing here. We are doing a lot of things well. We're doing a lot of things right. We're doing a lot of good things. But we're not doing the main thing. And the main thing is what Jesus said that we ought to do in leading people to Christ. We've got several initiatives underway and planned for this coming year. But I think the first step is for us to acknowledge, first of all, that we're not getting it done. And secondly, to understand what makes a church effective. How do we move from the category of being a comparison church to being an effective church? What makes a church effective? I'm going to share with you what Rainer learned in his surprising insights from the unchurched about what makes a church effective. One of the things that makes a church effective, he learned, was a clear sense of purpose. Knowing who we are, knowing why we're here, knowing what we're about, and having no doubt about that, so that you could walk up to anybody in the congregation and say, who are we, what are we about, what's our purpose, and they could tell you without hesitation. You know, that's really not a hard thing, is it? Because Jesus set that for us, didn't he? You heard it read just a moment ago, the marching orders of the church. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you until the end of the age. He's already said it for us. We know from his words, we know from his commission, what it is that we're supposed to be about. We know about our our purpose. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel and bring new people to follow Christ, to make disciples of them, to involve them in worship and in fellowship and in prayer and caring for those in need. That's what we read about in the book of Acts chapter 2. If you read verses 36 to 47, that's exactly what the, what the apostles did. They went out and proclaimed Christ and people heard the gospel. They said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were baptized that day, about 3,000, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's, that's what the church does. That's what the church is designed to do, to proclaim the gospel and bring people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Sometimes churches, though, are not clear in their own minds, much less clearly conveying it to outsiders. Sometimes churches are simply content to keep house for the Lord and just keep the doors open and do the usual church things. That will not do. We will never be an effective church if that's what we do. We've got to have a clear sense of our goal, and our goal is to accomplish God's purposes in this world. There's a word we struggle with a lot in the New Testament because it has a lot of complexity to it, and that's the word kingdom. 
What does the word kingdom mean? And you can get a lot of different definitions of the word kingdom. The word kingdom, though, simply means this. It means the rulership of God. And if we are the kingdom of God and we are following God's agenda in this world, it means that we are seeking to do what God wants us to do. That's what kingdom business is. It is doing what God sent us to do, regardless of what we like to do or regardless of what the world is telling us they want us to do. It is doing what God wants us to do. That's what it means to be the kingdom. Now, that means that effective churches are going to give a high priority to evangelism. And not just a few people in the church, but the whole church. The whole church has to be a body of believers. Can you imagine an army that went out and say, you've got 10,000 men in this army. And you say, we've got 100 who are devoted to fighting. What kind of army would that be? ineffective that'd be a comparison army they'd be the army that gets beat if you have a team and you've got 20 people on the team and they go out but only two of them really play you see what i'm getting at not just a few in the church but the whole church being involved in spreading the gospel i want to encourage you today on this first sunday of the new year i want to encourage you to resolve that you will do this that every week you will invite at least one person to come to worship here at Glen Allen with you. Invite one person. Or failing that, talk to them about Christ outside of church. Talk to them about who Jesus is. Share with them something about your faith, some aspect of it, something that will open their minds, something that will get the conversation started, something that will begin pointing them toward the cross. But every week, make it a point to do that with somebody. Surely that isn't too much to ask. You see, we can't be evangelistic collectively if we aren't evangelistic individually. It just doesn't work. You can't have an evangelistic church if you don't have evangelistic church members. And so we have to be thinking about how to lead people to Christ individually. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. If we're not seeing enough of a harvest, it simply means one thing, that we are not sowing enough seed. Not all the seed that you sow is going to grow. Uh, Yesterday during 12 baskets, I probably invited 10 or 12 different people to come to worship, and several of them said they would today, but I didn't see them. You're here, I'm glad. But I didn't see them. But you sow a lot of seed. You don't stop. You say, well, I invited 10 people. Nobody came. So I'm not going to invite anyone. No, you just keep on. We keep sowing the seed. If we're not reaping enough of a harvest, we're not sowing enough of the seed. We need to be a church that's filled with seed sowers. That makes an effective church. Second thing that Rainer learned from interviewing people who used to, go to, used to not go to church but then did is that churches that are effective are emphatic about doctrine they're emphatic about what they believe this is one area where the church growth folks really sold us a bill of goods they really sold us a bill of goods they said don't emphasize doctrine people out in the world aren't interested in doctrine they're interested in fellowship they're interested in activities but they're not interested in doctrine 
it's okay to have your doctrine, but kind of downplay it, kind of keep it under wraps, don't be too, uh, too explicit about it because people aren't interested in that. And Rainer's research showed just the opposite to be true. People are interested in what we believe. They want to know what we believe and what we teach. They want to know who we are. That's one of the, the blessings of being able to have a website is that sometimes people can go to that website, they can find out something of who we are and what we believe before they ever come. And maybe some of them look at it and say, I'm not going to go there because of what they believe, but that's their business, that's their decision. But we need to be clear about what we believe. Just think about it. You're a lost person. You're out in the world. There's a lot of confusion in your life. There's a lot of pain in your life. You know that something's missing. You're beginning to sense a longing for God and, and a need for God, but you don't quite know how to get there. And just a lot of things, you just keep running into walls in your life, and finally you get up enough nerve to go to church. And, and you go to church somewhere on a given Sunday, and all of a sudden you find out that you're not finding out anything. All you hear is a lot of muddled uncertainty. You can't lead people where you're not. We've got to be certain about what we believe and be open about what we believe. If you go and just hear a lot of muddled uncertainty and a lot of pop psychology and all that kind of thing, and you don't hear gospel truth, you don't hear the message of scripture, you don't hear about the Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. You don't hear about repenting of sin of all things, repenting of sin and being baptized into Jesus so you can follow him. If you don't hear that, you're not going to know what to do. A number of years ago, I had a phone call from a woman whose name I can't remember. It was a long, long time ago, but she called and she said, I've been calling churches and asking them what I need to do to be saved. And I've called a half a dozen already, and so far nobody can tell me. And I said, what do you mean nobody can tell you? She said, well, I called one, and they said, you don't need to do anything to be saved. You're not lost. Everybody's okay. She said, that didn't sound right, so I called another one, and they said, well, you just need to pray. All you just need to do is just pray, and everything will be all right. And she said, I've been praying. And I still don't, don't know how to find God. And, and she said, I called another one, and they said something else, and I called another one, and they said something else. And she said, can you tell me? Can you tell me what I need to do in order to be saved? And I said, yes, I can. And I did. And she became a Christian. Why? Because somebody told her clearly. Somebody told her what Scripture said. Somebody pointed her to the message contained in the Bible. Somebody pointed that out to her. Have you ever had the experience back before we had uh, GPS to mess us up? But, um, but before we had GPS, you'd be trying to find something and, and you'd ask somebody directions and they didn't really know. Linda and I were in Oklahoma a number of years ago and we... I was supposed to preach in this small town, and we'd never been there before. And this town had like maybe 1,200, 1,300 people in it, small place, mostly a, a crossroad, two, two main roads, and that was about it. But we couldn't find the church building, and so I stopped at a, a convenience store, and I went in and asked the person there, I said, can you tell me how to find this, this building, this church? And I could tell immediately from the look on, on their face. They didn't have a clue. You, you can tell. You know, they just kind of, you get this blank look. 
And he said, well, is that the one? That, and I said, I don't know, I'm asking directions, you know. And so there was another person in there, and they turned to that other person. And they said, where, where is that? Where is that, the, the Church of Christ here? And, and, and the other one said, well, it, I don't know. Maybe it's the, or is it the other one? And, and I thought, I'm wasting my time here. Just how do I get out of this so I can just go down the road and find somebody who knows? Like, they couldn't tell. Listen, folks, we don't want that to happen when people are inquiring spiritually, when they're inquiring about salvation, when they're inquiring about their souls. We don't want to meet them with a blank expression and a lot of, well, maybe this and maybe that. We want to be able to tell them exactly what God has said in his word about how to be saved. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. This is what he told Timothy. He said, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Some translations say it on the doctrine. That's what doctrine is. It's teaching. It's what you believe. He says, keep a close watch on yourself, on your life, and on what you teach. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen, if we don't know for sure what we believe, how do we know we're on our way to heaven? How do we know we're where we need to be with God? And how are we going to lead anybody else? Effective churches are emphatic about doctrine. Not only will we save ourselves, but we save our hearers. What are we talking about here? I'm talking about not every, every minute detail of Scripture, but I'm talking about the core beliefs of Scripture. I'm talking about the kind of things Paul mentions in Ephesians 4. When he said there's one Lord and one faith and, and one body and one baptism and one God and Father of us all, those, those core beliefs. We're talking about knowing what we believe about Jesus, about who he is, that he's God's son, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. We're talking about the fact that we follow him by putting our trust in him and, and in the power of his blood to cleanse us of our sins because we can't do anything to do that for ourselves and that we are united with him by repenting of sin and being baptized into his death and then rising to walk in newness of life and that then he wants us to live lives of service to him in the church and that we just keep on doing that until he comes again. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about those very basic things of what we do until Jesus comes. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 14 verses 24 and 25 Church in Corinth had a problem. They were in love with tongue speaking. At least the ones who could do it were in love with it. And so they were kind of dominating the worship assemblies by their tongue speaking. But the problem was nobody understood what they were saying. And Paul says that's a problem because he says all things are supposed to be done decently and in order and for the upbuilding of the church. And if it doesn't build up the church, don't do it. 
And so somebody had the gift because the Holy Spirit had given them the gift of being able to speak in a different language. And so they were just popping up at different times in the service and beginning to speak. And some of them talking at the same time. And it was creating confusion. And Paul says, don't do that. He said, if you're going to speak in tongues in the worship assembly at all, he said, let there be only one or two. And only if there's somebody to translate it. Only if there's somebody to translate it. He said, you know what's better than that? He said, what's better than that is prophecy. What we today would call teaching or preaching. That's better, he says, because people understand it. He says, if all prophesy and outsiders or unbelievers come in and they hear this, he says the, out, the outsider or the unbeliever will be convicted about the things of his life. The very thoughts of his heart, the secrets of his heart will be exposed and he will fall on his face and worship God and acknowledge that he is really among you. That's what happens when people hear truth and hear it clearly. They know that God is truly among us. But that will only happen if the doctrine is clear. It'll only happen if it's clear. And not just in sermons, but also in classes and in prayers uh, and in the songs that we sing. I appreciated the things that Luke said before the Lord's Supper because he spoke the word of the gospel with clarity, didn't he? talked about what this is about. What is the Lord's Supper about? It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's about the fact that you and I cannot save ourselves, and so Christ died to redeem us. People need to hear that, and we need to be clear about doctrine. Effective churches are emphatic about what they believe. Another characteristic of effective churches is that they seek to form relationships with new people. They seek to form relationships with new people. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul calls the church the household of God or the family of God. But you know, this isn't like most of our nuclear family. This is a family that is constantly expanding. This is a family that is continually seeking new members of the family, seeking to welcome new people into the family. Rainer says in his book that almost all the people that he interviewed, almost all 353 of them said they were first got connected to the church they ended up at because of a relationship with somebody. Because they knew somebody there, because somebody there invited them, because somebody there showed an interest in them. The relationship is what attracted them. Flavely Akeley, after years of researching what causes people to stay at a church, says that if a new person, a new Christian, forms five friendships at a church, they will stay. If they don't form at least five, they're not likely to stay. What does that tell us about the importance of forming relationships? Going back to Rainer and his research, he says one of the very best ways of establishing those relationships is not so much through our worship assemblies, as good as that is, but also and more so through our Bible classes. Because in those classes, you get closer to people. In those classes, you have the opportunity to talk to people. In those classes, you're already talking about the Word of God. And so you build on that, and you get to know the people who are there. And so when we invite people to come to worship with us, we need to invite them to come to class with us as well, and we need to welcome them. And by the way, folks, here's another reason why you ought to come to class. 
It's not just for you, for what you get out of it. It's for what you can do there in meeting new people and welcoming them and building relationships with them and helping them to come to know Christ. The bottom line is that Bible classes are for effective Christians who care enough to first of all share their faith with them and then take them into their lives get to know them. Effective churches build relationships with new people. And then one other thing that Rainer says makes an effective church is that effective churches have high expectations for their members. Effective churches have high expectations for their members. It means something to be a member of that church. You know, when people first visit a church, one of the first things they want to know is, are we serious about who we say we are? Are we serious about what we're doing? Are we just kind of bumping into each other as we come together at a certain time on Sunday morning and then going our separate ways? Which is it? That's what people want to know. Are we serious? And one gauge of that is our expectations of one another. So many churches are affected by consumer mentality. Here's what I mean by that. They think of themselves as businesses trying to attract customers. And so we're the business and we're trying to attract customers and we try to figure out what does it take to attract customers. That's what the church growth folks were telling us for decades that we needed to do. Find out what people want and give it to them. Find out what will attract them and then do it. And to, and to attract them. And so we see ourselves as the business trying to attract the customers. Not as people who are deeply committed to God and to one another and to reaching others with the gospel. I've got a membership at Sam's Club. Maybe you do too. And I really like it. I don't just like the stuff they have there and the prices that they have. I like the fact that they don't expect anything of me. They gave me a card. I'll show it to you if you want to see it afterward. They gave me a card. I'm a card-carrying member at Sam's Club. I can show that card. You know, they'll, they'll stop somebody else, but I walk up, show that card, and you come right in, sir. And I use that card to buy the things I want to buy. If you don't have one of those cards, you can't do that. I get all those privileges, and they don't ask a thing of me. They don't call me. They don't ask me why I haven't been in recently. They don't, they don't tell me about some new initiative that's going on that they need my help with. They don't expect anything of me. They don't make me feel bad about anything or guilty about anything. They pretty much leave me alone. It's a business, and I'm the consumer. It's not the church. It's different in church, or it ought to be. Christians sometimes betray that consumerism in our thinking. You'll hear people say, well, I, I don't go much anymore because I didn't get a lot out of it. I didn't get a lot out of it. It, it. it didn't work for me. Maybe it works for other people, but it didn't work for me. Or they did something or they said something that I wasn't comfortable with. And, you know, that's, that is the unforgivable sin of our times, isn't it? to make somebody uncomfortable. I wasn't comfortable with it, so I don't participate any, anymore. And yet we follow a Lord who said this, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny, 
deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I don't hear anything in that about what you get out of it. I don't hear anything in that about whether or not it works for you. I didn't hear anything in that about comfort. All I hear in the call of Jesus is that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Acts 2 and verse 42 said after those 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. You know what it means to devote yourself to something? Of course you do. Devote yourself to your family. You devote yourself to your work. Devote yourself to Christ. Devote yourself to his church. Devote yourself to things like the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, and he said that he was to bring up a people who were zealous for good works, zealous for good works, not who could be coerced into them, not who could be prodded into them, not who could be begged to do a good work every now and then, but people who, want, who got up every day wanting to do good works. They were zealous for good works. And he says uh, that we are to declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you, he told Titus. That means, folks, that you and I are not just invited to be here for worship. We're expected to be here. Same thing for Bible study. We're not just invited to study God's word. We're expected to be studying God's word. We're expected to be building one another up. We're not just urged to live a godly life. We're required to live a godly life. And we have that expectation of ourselves, and we have that expectation of one another, and we're not apologetic about it. And if it makes us uncomfortable, it's simply an indication that we need to grow. And when we find ourselves needing to grow, we strive in every way that we can to grow. Every member at Glen Allen needs to raise the level of expectations for ourselves individually and to raise the level of what we expect for one another, from one another. That being a part of the church at Glen Allen needs to mean something. It needs to mean commitment and it needs to mean faithfulness. Now, Rainer had one other characteristic of effective churches, and I'm going to tell you about next week. I'll give you a preview. A passion for excellence. A passion for excellence. But for now, for today, I want you to commit yourself to make Glen Allen an effective church by being sure that you're an effective Christian. Be clear about your purpose. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength and serve him to the best of your ability and to lead others to become disciples of Jesus as well. Secondly, to know for certain what you believe and to be able to express that to other people. And if you're not sure and you're not sure how to do that, ask for help. And let's get where we can all do that. So if somebody were to walk up to you when we, after the last amen today and say, you know, I'm new here. What is it you believe? that you wouldn't stutter, you wouldn't hesitate a minute, a minute, you'd be able to tell them exactly what you believe. Take part in meeting and welcoming new people. Open up your life to them. Help them to find the blessings of God for them and then raise the expectations for yourself 
and for one another. The expectations of spiritual growth and service. And together, let's expect more of one another. Let's be that effective church that God has called us to be. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, and there probably are people here who aren't, because you haven't committed yourself to following the Lord, and you haven't confessed your faith in Him, you haven't repented of sin and been baptized, take care of that today. Take care of that today. That's what God's calling you to do. Take care of that today and start on the road to becoming an effective Christian in every way. If you'll just come and tell us, we'll do all we can to help you while we sing this song together.